0: Welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Randy McCracken.
1: And I'm Lindsay Kennedy.
0: Today we want to focus on the kings of Judah. As we begin looking at the kings of Judah, it's important to talk about the division of the kingdom, which we briefly mentioned in the last episode. Um, But if we go back to the reign of Solomon, Uh, in, In spite of the prosperity and the blessing of God on the reign of Solomon, we find that Solomon in his reign breaks three crucial commandments that are given to the king, as found in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. He multiplies gold, he multiplies horses or military strength, and he multiplies wives. Three things that the king was instructed not to do. And while the king was to uh, meditate on the law of the Lord and to know it, we find that Solomon allows his wives to draw him away to the worship of other gods. As a result, uh, God brings judgment on Solomon and the kingdom. And he says that he is going to tear um, a majority of the tribes away from Solomon. But because of the faithfulness of David, Solomon will be left with one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And actually, it seems that Solomon ends up with a a little bit more than one tribe, or at least uh, the kings of Judah end up with more than one tribe, because it appears later on in the history that the tribe of Benjamin sort of joins up with uh, the kingdom of Judah. And as we'll see, people from some of the other tribes in the north also come to the south. Uh, But... This is part of the uh, the story of how the division in the kingdom happens. And uh, Lindsay, talk with us a little bit more uh, specifically about Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and how this division occurs.
1: Yes, yeah, so we've mentioned a little bit about this in the previous episode when we looked at Jeroboam, not to be confused with Rehoboam, but Jeroboam being the king of the north, the first king of the north. And really this there's this division that is... In many ways, it's caused by Solomon and his apostasy, as we just described. But the thing that that begins this split is, is his son, which is Rehoboam. And it's the way that Rehoboam foolishly deals with Jeroboam and the northern tribes. And so Jeroboam comes to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, saying to him that, "'Your father treated us like Pharaoh treated Israel.' And are you going to reign like him? Are you going to be harsh on us? Or are you going to be kind to us, really? And so Rehoboam, there's this classic moment where he goes to ask the older counselors what he should do. And they say, you should be kind to them. And then he goes and asks, really, his peers. uh, And they all say, in sort of a um, rude euphemism, really, they say, you should tell... Jeroboam that that you're going to be stronger than your dad basically you're going to be even harsher to to them and they better get in line Um, he foolishly obeys or follows their wisdom their counsel and as a result uh, the kingdom is split and it's not really split in half because as Randy mentioned the majority of the tribes go up to the north and so Jeroboam leads majority of Israel in really an exodus from the reign of the kings of Judah and so Rehoboam, just very, very quickly, right after Solomon's reign, very quickly, the kingdom of Judah is brought into really a minority in terms of the amount of people that that are there. Now, of course, they have the temple, and they have the Levites, and they have the, the center of worship there in Jerusalem. And that's going to be very important. And they do have the promises that God gave to David, that one of his sons would rule over all the tribes. And so there is hope for the for the reign of the kings of Judah, and we're going to see that there's really a mixture in terms of their uh, evaluation of their character. We're going to see that some of them are good and some of them are wicked, but unfortunately, beginning with Rehoboam, there's this foolish choice that leads to the loss of the kingdom. Uh, we also see that, that during this time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, there was continual war between the north and the south, and so this division really just just happened so immediately and so strongly between these nations. And then because of Rehoboam's foolishness, he, he also loses a lot of the wealth that Solomon had built up over his kingdom, being of course the most wealthy stage of Israel's uh, kingdom. But Rehoboam loses the majority of this when the pharaoh, whose name is Shishak, he, pharaoh of Egypt, uh, loots the temple and the palace. And that's actually something that we're going to see a lot through the kings of Judah, that the temple is is pillaged many times and and that culminates in the destruction of the temple under Babylon
0: good and um, Lindsay as you've mentioned there's a mixture of both good kings and bad kings uh, which in one sense is refreshing because as we went through the kings of Israel we noticed that none of them received a positive rating from the inspired author uh, our focus in Judah is going to be mostly on these these good kings. And so we just want to make everyone aware that there is this mixture of good and bad, uh, but we'll be focusing mostly on the good kings because of the uh, positive impact that they had on, on the kingdom. Uh, and so the, the next king that we're going to look at is a king by the name of uh, Asa or Asa, if you want to pronounce it in its Hebrew form. And uh, we can read about uh, Asa's reign in 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 9 through 24. One of the significant things about Asa is that only Hezekiah and Josiah receive higher praise in the book of Kings than he does. He does a number of important things. Um, uh, One of the brave things that he does is he deposes his powerful grandmother, uh, who was an idolater, And he rids the land of idols. So uh, imagine going up against the matriarch of the family, uh, who is a powerful royal figure and has been for quite a long time, and to stand up to her and to depose uh, her of her power uh, because of her idolatrous influence, and then to start this reform that uh, rids the land of idolatry. So this is one of the great things That Asa does. Um, He's criticized for a couple of things. We'll notice that even with the good kings, there's always a mixture of mistakes as as well as uh, the good things that they do. Uh, Asa, as a number of the kings of Judah are criticized for, uh, he's criticized for not removing the high places. Uh, So while he rids the land of idolatry, the high places are those places where Yahweh, the true God, continues to be worshiped. But instead of uh, consolidating the worship in the temple at Jerusalem, Asa allows these high places to continue. Another thing that he's criticized for is making an alliance with the king of Assyria, or with the king of Syria, sorry, not Assyria, but Syria. As Lindsay mentioned, there continues to be war between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so uh, Asa tries to enlist the help of the king of Syria in order to uh, fight against Basha, who is the king of Israel. And he's rebuked for this because instead of trusting the Lord, uh, he ends up uh, trusting in military alliances with uh, ungodly nations. Uh, He actually gets criticized for this by a prophet by the name of Hanani, And uh, to Asa's discredit, rather than repenting and listening to the prophet, he actually throws the prophet into stocks and in prison. Uh, And so uh, we see that Asa is is far from perfect, uh, and yet at the same time, he he does a number of good things. At the end of his reign, he uh, ends up with uh, what the biblical writer says is a disease in his feet. And once again, he's criticized for seeking the physician's but not seeking the Lord. And so while his reign is, is basically a good reign, it does seem to end on a bad note. Uh, the book of Chronicles tells us that because of Asa's reforms, that many from both Judah, Benjamin, the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all gather to Asa because they see that the Lord is with him. So as we had mentioned earlier, uh, even though... Uh, the uh, southern kingdom basically consists of Judah, we do see that those who desire to continue to worship the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem end up moving southward and uh, become incorporated into the kingdom of Judah.
1: So then following Asa, we have his son Jehoshaphat, and he's another king that that the text tells us that is a righteous king. He not only follows the the lord but he also removes more elements of false worship from the land and so he's continuing really what his father was doing and this is a good sign Uh, he also sends out um, the levites and some officials to teach the people about the law throughout the land and so these are all really good things it says that the lord blesses jehoshaphat's reign as well and so this this is all really a good start for jehoshaphat and There is one big foolish mistake I think that he makes though, and uh, he's not declared a wicked king for this, but it is an act that's considered foolishness, which is that he makes an alliance with the Northern Kingdom, which on first thought, or maybe on the surface, might be a good thing because the tribes have been at war for so long and really we, we would like to see the tribes be reunited, but by really unfortunately he allies with the north when ahab is ruling and ahab as we've seen in the previous episode is one of the worst kings in the north and doing so really leads to compromise on his own part on jehoshaphat's part he goes to war with syria and it's not really a uh, necessarily a wise battle and actually the prophet of yahweh denounces this battle and says that uh, ahab's going to die in this battle and and really, Jehoshaphat's life is spared through an act of God in this battle that ensues. And when he returns, a prophet comes to him and uh, rebukes him and says, why did you ally with those who hate the Lord, those who hate Yahweh? And so Jehoshaphat, that's really a big mistake of his, of his career as king. And not to mention that, but also uh, bringing an alliance with the house of Ahab through marrying one of his sons, Jehoram, to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel.
0: Yeah. And- this leads to uh, some real tragedy within the history of the kingdom of Judah. Uh, this this marriage uh, of Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, her name is Athaliah, uh, and so they have a son. His name is Ahaziah. And as we mentioned in the previous episode, there can be a lot of confusion in names here because. Both the northern and southern kingdoms have kings named Jehoram and have kings named Ahaziah. Uh, But we're speaking now about King Ahaziah of Judah, and he is the son of Athaliah and King Jehoram of Judah. He dies when Jehu uh, takes over the throne of Israel, which we talked about in the previous episode. He's actually visiting his uncle, uh, the king of Israel, when Jehu's coup takes place. And Jehu ends up not only killing the king of Israel, but killing the king of Judah. And in a sense, uh, Jehu is continuing to fulfill prophecy of the destruction of Ahab's line, because after all, the king of Judah is now related to the family of Ahab. When Ahaziah is killed, this leaves a vacuum in the throne of Judah, Uh What happens is that Athaliah, his mother, who we remember is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, usurps the throne. So she takes over the throne. Upon her taking over the throne, she begins to destroy all the royal seed of the house of David. And so this is an incredible crisis. It looks like there's not going to be any descendant of David to reign on the throne in Judah. Uh, Now, while we had talked about the fact that the northern kings frequently had different dynasties ruling in the south, in Judah, it was always a descendant of David. Uh, Through God's providence, one young child is spared. His name is Jehoash or Joash. He goes by both. And he's rescued and he's hidden away by the high priest and those who were loyal to the the throne of David. And at the age of seven, so seven years later, he's a baby when this coup takes place. He's actually proclaimed king in a very carefully staged coup by the high priest, Jehoiada. As a result, Athaliah is taken, and she is put to death. And interestingly enough, like her mother Jezebel, Athaliah is, is trampled by horses, and uh, a similar fate also met Jezebel upon her death.
1: So Joash reigned for 40 years, and he was a faithful king, and he really became the first in line of four overall good kings. The narrative tells us, calls them righteous kings. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're perfect in all of their choices and actions and so on, but these are, are better kings that Usually at at some point in their reign, they at least start off well uh, before turning away from the Lord um, or maybe making some foolish decision. And these kings are Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, and Jotham. Joash repaired and restored the temple, which had now been standing for about 160 or 170 years. As I'd mentioned earlier, the the temple plays a huge role in the story of the kings of the south. And so there's this constant theme of Uh, the temple being pillaged or the temple being restored, and and any king that restores the temple, that's usually a really good sign. Uh, And there's some archaeological artifact connected with Joash repairs of the temple that's known as the Joash inscription. This is, I mentioned it's controversial. I think, Randy, you should step in here and elaborate on this a little bit more.
0: Yeah, a number of years ago, um, back in the early 2000s, a tablet came to light uh, that was called the Jehoash Inscription. It received this name because uh, it actually speaks of Jehoash's decree, and it's written in the first person as if Jehoash is the one who wrote this inscription, talking about the cleansing of the temple uh, and the repairs that were done to it. And it sounds very, very similar to the record that we have in 2 Chronicles about Joash's repair of the temple. Now, the reason it's controversial is it was found in the collection um, of uh, an antiquities collector. This is a person who, who buys and might sell artifacts. Uh, and a lot of times these artifacts come through the black market through antiquities dealers. Uh, if, if this inscription had been found in an archaeological excavation, there would have been absolutely no doubt that it was authentic. But because it was in this uh, collector's collection, uh, he was actually accused of forgery along with a number of other famous items in his collection. Uh, and to this day, uh, there are scholars who think that the Jehoash inscription is authentic And there are those who think that it is a forgery. Uh, I've actually written an article uh, on this on my site, and so we'll we'll put a link to it if you haven't heard about it and you want to read more about it. The thing is that if it is an authentic artifact, this would be uh, an incredible, incredible discovery because it would be the oldest inscription that we have. It would come directly from a king of Judah. And uh, it would uh, certainly corroborate uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the story that we have in the Bible about this uh, repair of the temple.
1: So another king in this list of four that, that is worthy of uh, thinking about for a few moments is King Uzziah. In the text of uh, the Book of Kings, he's called Azariah, but it's the same individual And he was one of the longest reigning kings of Judah. His reign actually lasted 52 years. uh, And part of this reign overlapped with Jeroboam II. As we mentioned in the previous episode, he was one of the kings of Israel. And between the two of them, their kingdoms reached about the same sort of size as that of Solomon. So this is a time of prosperity both in the north and the south. His long reign brought stability to Judah, whereas israel in the north went through six different kings during the same time span of of his reign and it's at the death of uzziah that the prophet isaiah receives his call to be a prophet that's a famous passage in isaiah chapter 6 where it says uh in the year of uzziah's death i saw the lord and he has this this uh, vision of the lord in the temple Uzziah, unfortunately is that king who started well but in his pride he thought that he could do things in the temple that that really only priests could do and and as a result he was uh, made a leper and so even though he it's not as though he was rejected by the lord he still was not able to enter the temple from that point onwards so he's really a tragic figure but even still the text calls him a righteous king overall and so that really leads us to the next king uh hezekiah which randy do you want to take this king for now
0: Sure. Now, Hezekiah doesn't follow Uzziah, but as we said, we're kind of focusing on the good kings of Judah here. And so we come down to the reign of Hezekiah, and based on his faithfulness to the Lord and his uncompromising religious reformation, Hezekiah is praised as one of Judah's greatest kings. You can read about that in Second Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And so, uh, Following the apostasy of his father, uh, King Ahaz, Hezekiah's faith in reform uh, was really instrumental in saving Judah from destruction. So Hezekiah had an ungodly father, worshipped idolatry, made a, a covenant with the uh, king of Assyria, and so brought a lot of foreign influence into the kingdom of Judah. And Hezekiah purifies um, the, uh, the temple and uh, reforms the land, and Hezekiah is one of the first, if not the first. Uh, Jehoshaphat did some of this, but Hezekiah does away with all of the high places in the land, as well as doing away with the idolatry uh, in Judah. And so his his reform is is far-reaching. And as a result, uh, I really believe that this is one of the reasons that the kingdom of Judah was able to outlast the kingdom of Israel. It was during this time that the Assyrian army swept through the kingdom of Israel around 722-721 BC, as we mentioned. And Hezekiah was early in his reign at that point, at least according to some scholars' accounts. There's some debates as to exactly what years Hezekiah reigned. But we do know that around 701 BC, Um, Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria, and Judah was threatened with destruction by the Assyrian king, Sennacherib. Hezekiah continued to depend on the Lord, and as a result, we have this famous story of how the Lord saved Jerusalem. You can read about it in 2 Kings 18 and 19, and it's also found over in in the book of Isaiah as well. And it relates how God saved Jerusalem by sending an angel to destroy 185,000 of the Assyrian army. That might seem like a fanciful story, but we actually have some corroboration in secular history. We have Sennacherib's own annals, and they confirm that he did not capture Jerusalem. Now, in these annals, Sennacherib obviously doesn't talk about being defeated. In fact, he brags about all the cities of Judah that he does capture and destroy. And then he brags uh, in a very famous statement about uh, locking Hezekiah up like a bird in a cage in Jerusalem. Uh, But we know the rest of the story. The reason he wasn't able to conquer Jerusalem was because the Lord interceded. It's interesting to me that as we go through these kings, there are a number of historical artifacts that scholars and archaeologists have uh, uncovered and discovered over the last number of years. One of these uh, includes the, the annals of, of Sennacherib, which confirms the, the biblical story that he was unable to take the uh, the city of Jerusalem. Oh, this is a really important event in Uh, judah's history because god's deliverance of jerusalem led the people particularly uh, all the way up to a hundred years later during the time of jeremiah it led the people to believe that jerusalem could not be taken because the temple of the lord was there in jerusalem and god would not allow anyone to destroy the temple so this is this uh event in Judah and Jerusalem's history has a large impact upon what happens 100 years later when the Babylonians come, and the prophet Jeremiah actually prophesies that they will indeed take the the city of Jerusalem. Um, Finally, in in Hezekiah's time, uh, although his reign overall was characterized by a good reign, one of the things that Hezekiah does is he allows the king of Babylon to come in and see all the treasures of the Lord's house. And this actually leads Isaiah the prophet to prophesy that the Babylonians would eventually conquer Jerusalem and that this was a foolish mistake on Hezekiah's part. And so we're going to jump from Hezekiah down to uh, the final reigns of some of the kings of Judah and lindsay why don't you take up the story there
1: it's such a shame that if hezekiah can be considered one of judah's greatest kings that his son manasseh could really be considered the worst of judah's kings he he actually reigned uh the longest of all of the kings of judah but he was also the most wicked even though jerusalem wasn't destroyed at his time he is blamed for its destruction Uh, Several times in the text of 2 Kings, it refers to the fact that Manasseh did such wicked, wicked things and that this is why the temple and Jerusalem was destroyed. It's interesting that the story of Kings doesn't tell us this final part of his story, but Chronicles tells us that Manasseh actually repented after his long time of apostasy and, and wickedness. Uh, so it's very interesting that, that he is actually carried away to Babylon himself by the Assyrians, and but he prays and repents and is returned to Jerusalem. The story of Kings is trying to tell us why the exile happened, among other things, but Chronicles tells us this extra detail that Manasseh actually repented in his own lifespan. So it's, it's quite interesting how he contrasts with these earlier kings who start off well and they end Um, mixed or poorly Manasseh starts off terribly but actually repents in his latter years and it's his grandson Josiah that that actually is a very righteous king and so there's some good there's still some good story left to tell with these kings but it's unfortunate that that really he's not able to stop the exile from happening um, even really because of Manasseh's wickedness and the way that he had uh, turned Judah into idolatry. But this, the text praises Josiah even greater than, uh, Hezekiah. Josiah is really one of the absolute greatest Kings of the South. And he's even compared to David. Josiah reigns from a very early age, like Jehoash, he, he begins to reign at age eight. And he also like Jehoash is repairing the temple. And during these repairs, the book of the law of the Lord is discovered in the temple. So he's already this righteous king because he's restoring the temple and all the rest. Uh, but in doing so, the law of the Lord is discovered. And it's it's not entirely clear what this is. This could be the whole of the Torah or many people think that this is a portion or the entirety of Deuteronomy. Uh, and we can see this because of what happens when he finds the, the law. He takes it to a prophetess named Huldah. And she verifies that this is the law of the Lord. And, and he really is worried when he sees what the contents of the law state. And, and it seems most likely that he's reading some of the latter portions of Deuteronomy where we see uh, if, Moses predicting if you are faithful in the land, you will remain. But if you turn to other gods and turn to unfaithfulness, you'll be cast out of the land. And so Josiah really just wants to reform Judah and set things straight to, to worship God properly.
0: Yeah, we were talking about um, some of the interesting archaeological evidence during uh, the period of these kings. And when it comes to the reigns of Hezekiah and Josiah, uh, archaeologists have actually discovered uh, evidence of the reforms that the scripture says that they carried out. A couple of places where uh, they found that one is in a city called Arad, which is in the southern part of um, modern Israel, uh, there Solomon had, at once upon a time, built a fortress, and also at, at some point in the history of that city, a temple had been constructed there, which sounds a little surprising. But this would be one of those high places that were talked about in Scripture. Um during the, both the reigns of Hezekiah and Josiah, we have evidence at Arad that Hezekiah and Josiah dismantled this temple. And uh, one of the ways in which uh, this was done in the ancient world was to cover it over and to, and to bury it. Uh, and that's what they did. Um, also, uh, most recently in a city known as Lachish, uh, which is a fortified city in the southern part of Judah, Just about a year or two ago, uh, archaeologists discovered a very curious item. Uh, In the city gates of Lachish, there was uh, once again a small temple or shrine where worship was being carried out. Uh, But as they were, were digging out this shrine, one of the things they found there was a toilet. And this was an ancient way of defiling an area so that it could no longer be used as a sacred space. And so, again, during the times of uh, Hezekiah and Josiah, these high places were defiled. Uh, They were covered over so that they would not be used. And we actually have some some modern archaeological evidence that, that confirms that. So, because the Lord had promised that Josiah would not see the decline and the destruction of Judah, he prematurely dies in a battle at Megiddo against the Egyptian pharaoh. He reigns a total of 31 years, and following his death, we have a a quick end to the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Josiah dies in about 609 BC, and 23 years later, in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes, the king of Babylon, and he completely destroys the city of Jerusalem. He burns the king's palace and the temple of the Lord. And in that 23-year span, Judah has four more kings, and all of these are related to Josiah. And sadly, all of them are wicked. Three of them are sons of Josiah, a guy named Jehoahaz, a guy named Jehoiakim, and a fellow named Zedekiah. And then one of Josiah's grandsons, Jehoiakin, or Jehoiachin, uh, also uh, is on the throne for a period of time. There's some interesting symmetry between these final kings. Uh, two of these kings only reign three months. Jehoahaz, uh, the first son of Josiah, only reigns three months. And also Jehoiakim, who is the grandson of Josiah, only reigns three months. The other two sons of Josiah, who are Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, both reign 11 years. So we got four kings, two of them reign three months, the other two reign 11 years. Uh, for a total of about 23 years and the final destruction of um, Jerusalem. Now we're talking about uh, archaeological evidence, and once again we have some very interesting discoveries that have been made that uh, corroborate and testify to the final events that the Bible speaks of. One of the things we have is called the Babylonian Chronicles, and these are records kept by the Babylonians themselves uh, of their various conquests. And this includes the capture and destruction of Jerusalem. And um, one of the reasons that uh, this king Jehoiakim only reigns three months is because Nebuchadnezzar comes, captures the city, and he deports Jehoiakim to Babylon. The Babylonian Chronicle actually talks about this, and so does the Bible. And so we have a a corroboration there between what the Bible says and other secular history. The Babylonian Chronicle also goes on to describe the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Another very interesting find, again, in this city of of Lachish, is what are known as the Lachish ostraca. Now, ostraca are simply... Uh, broken pieces of pottery that were used in the ancient world for writing messages. A number of these broken pieces of pottery were found with messages on them by the commander of the city of Lachish, which was one of the the strongest cities in Judah outside of Jerusalem. And uh, these messages seem to have been written shortly before the final destruction of the city, which the Bible also talks about uh, Lachish being destroyed by the Babylonians. So another very interesting uh, correspondence between both what we might call secular history and what the Bible records. Lindsay, as we come to the conclusion here of the reign of the kings of Judah and the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the kingship, uh, the people being deported to Babylon. Uh, you got some final
1: thoughts for us. Well, I, I do have a few. One is that really the narrative of kings, which is what we've been mostly working with, it brings to conclusion the storyline that begins through the Torah, but also the book of Joshua of Israel entering the land, taking the promised land. And then kings tells us the story of them uh, really having the promised land taken away or, or them being taken away from it. Uh, we also see that, the building of the temple and again in kings we see the destruction of the temple and so there's really a, a conclusion to this story or at least a a small conclusion <laughs> awaiting a a new opening of the story that we see through the hopes of the prophets and the hope for a return to the land of israel and so on and so kings it plays a very important role for leading us up to the exile and the exile being a, a major story point in the storyline of the Old Testament.
0: Recalling our very first episode in this series, um, we talked about how Adam and Eve were represented as royal figures, and as a result, all of humanity was created uh, in the royal image of God. Uh, And just as Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and were exiled from the Garden of Eden, so too Israel, because of its disobedience, meaning both Israel and Judah, are exiled from the land. Before Adam and Eve are exiled from the the Garden of Eden, though, they are given a promise uh, that uh, through their seed, one will come who will conquer the serpent. And we have a final word of hope of sorts in the Book of Kings as well. Uh, And we certainly have hope expressed at the end of 2 Chronicles. But the closing lines of 2 Kings 25 report how this King Jehoiakim that we've talked about was released from prison by the Babylonian king and was allowed to dine at the king's table. And so this act of kindness provides hope that God has not abandoned his people and that there's yet hope for the future. And this future hope is enunciated by uh, a number of the prophets as we look over the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, we see a lot of failure. And even amongst the good kings, we see imperfections and we see problems, which causes us to to long for that perfect king uh, that has been prophesied about and that has been talked about. And so as we move into the, the final episode in our series, uh, we'll be looking at this prophetic hope uh, of the kingship as it's expressed in and the prophets of Israel. So we want to thank you all again for being with us through uh, yet another episode here in this series of kingship in the Old Testament. And we hope that you'll join us for our final episode in this series. And may God bless you, and we look forward to uh, uh, bringing this next lesson to you shortly.
1: For more episodes and links to resources for each episode, visit our page beyondreadingthebible.com. We hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy making it. Any review that you want to leave on iTunes or Google Play or any share on social media would go a huge way towards getting the word out there. This podcast requires a chunk of time and research and writing, recording, editing, promotion. It even has some financial costs. So if you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining our community at Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash mydigitalseminary. For the price of a cup of coffee, you could make a big difference. There's also some great rewards as well. Special thanks to one of our supporters, Evan Bazemore, for making this episode possible. Music is by Heritage. Their music can be found at heritage.com, and I need to mention that the A in Heritage is a V. Randy McCracken can be found at BibleStudyWithRandy.com, and I can be found at MyDigitalSeminary.com.